Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Just a Game podcast with Rob Kerr, except for the second episode in a row. I'm not Rob Kerr. I am Danny Austin. Uh, with me sitting about seven feet from me, we're going to bring him in in just a second, is Ryan Pike from Flames, Na- from Flames Nation, not Flames Down Nation. That's just that's just a made-up thing that I said uh, from Flames Nation. Uh, we're getting to the end of the summer. We are going to talk a little bit of CFL, or I'm going to talk a little bit of CFL. But, you know, after talking with Julian McKenzie here on Friday, I realized that I just I want to talk about the Flames a little bit. So I've got Ryan Pike in here. I'm sure Pike being Pike, he's going to want to talk some wrestling, all, all sorts of stuff. But um, yeah, we are here live in the Oodle Noodle studio. Um, and let's bring in Pike. But before I do, I got to do an ad read, which uh, as, as anyone who watches my podcast live from the 55 knows, this is a strength of mine. But I'm excited about this one because, you know, our guests are brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard. Um, ski seller snowboard.com. I have trouble saying that ski seller snowboard.com. Uh, you know, they've been open in Calgary since 1946. That's an astounding 76 years. Seems like 77 to me if I'm doing the math, but uh, it says 76 on the card, so that's what we're going with. But yeah, we love ski seller snowboard. They got three locations McLeod Trail by Chinook Center, 17th Avenue, Southwest, just off 14th Street, and Bow Ridge no- Road, Northwest by the McDonald's. Um, just right across the street from Winsport, pretty much. But you know their Labor Day their Labor Day sale also starts tomorrow. Goes till September fourth. That's August 29th, September fourth. Um, you know this is the sale of the season, sale of the year. So make sure if you are already thinking about winter the way I am, dreaming about your time on the slopes, make sure you stop by Ski Seller Snowboard. And I will note that it's not just for skiers and snowboard. They got lots of stuff to keep you warm and dry. Um, but yeah, tons of deals there. Let us bring in Pike Ryan, buddy. I haven't seen you in like forever, man. Were you there? You would have been there July 1st for uh, at the Saddledome for free agency? Yes. Yes. So that would have been the last time I saw you. I was also thinking, I mean, I have known you for the better part of a decade at this point, um, just through seeing each other at sort of various media availabilities and what have you. Um, we have never actually professionally done anything together. No, I'm, 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 working, I'm working through my bingo card. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy. Like, I feel like I've done radio with just about everybody. Haven't done it with you. Um, Obviously, you know, you do a ton of stuff here with the Nation Network. Um, I go where I'm told to go. I go where I'm told to go. go where you're told to go. And I I host a podcast here live from the 55 or CFL podcast. Please like and subscribe and check it out. But yeah, we've uh, we've never actually done anything like that. So it's exciting. Yeah, I'm excited. You uh, you. I think uh, on Friday uh, before the show with Julian, you're like, 
hey, want to want to come in on Monday? I'm like, yeah, yeah. Because we again, a we we hardly see each other and have a chance to really catch up like this. And B, I mean, until like a month from now, which point? Oh, we're, we're gonna be way we're too gonna, much of each. We're other. gonna be sick of each other by uh, by the outdoor game. Yeah, you you often you sit pretty close to where the tea is located in the uh, Saturday press box. And yeah, they, I they drink a lot of tea. They, they put all the, the they put the traditional media people. So inside baseball here, they put the traditional media people on uh, the one side of the press box. And then the other side, there's me, there's Salim Balji and a couple other people who sit down towards the pro scouts on the other side, which yeah. the, the upside means we're close to the pro scouts. We get to make friends and we're also really close to the tea and coffee. Yeah. And popcorn and, Various selections of um, Coca-Cola products, I believe, at the Saddledome, right? Oh, yeah. McManus, Pepsi products, Coca-Cola at the Saddledome. But, yeah, we we stop in. We say hi. You always um, – I don't know. It's always a, always a pleasure to talk to you. I will say, Solemn Valdi, he might be coming in today. Um, I, I, I also invited him um, over the weekend. But, A, his phone isn't working. Um, and he is, was – Is he, he still was, out of town? He was in Vancouver for the weekend um, visiting, I believe, his mother. Um and when we talked last night, he was like, well, my flight gets into 12.15. And I was like, all right, well, don't worry about it, man. Like, I flight, like we're, we're getting, he was like, I'm going to try, man. It's just, I'm going to try. And I was like, solid. I, I, like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, you either, you, you don't have to come. And and so, I know our reputations, we can fill the time. Yeah, we can fill the time. Uh, you're a talker. Um, but yeah, so I have no idea if Solom is coming in or not. I, I don't think he is, except that I know his phone's not working. So he couldn't, his flight was landing at 12.15. He couldn't reach out and tell me if he wanted to, that he wasn't coming in. So Solom, if you're listening. You know, we love you. It's okay if you don't come in. Um, oh, he's just ridden me. His flight was delayed, so he's got to figure it out. So we're good. No solemn Valdi. Just me. This, like, this is why I'm glad we opened with saying nice things about Solomon. So, I mean, karmically, always. I think we're covered. Always. I will likely see him for our terrible slow pitch team. Uh, it's our last game of the season tonight. Pike, I got to ask. Not a lot of flames news this summer. I, I um, On Friday's show, you and, uh, you and Julian talked about just the – it's been – I, 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 we always, we always joke with this. Like my family members are always like, is it going to be another busy summer? And I, my answer was maybe it depends because you know, we had that busy stretch. I think I wrote it out from exit or from the last game of the season on April 12th. I think we had something like six or seven major press conferences. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, there was a three day period in Nashville where we basically saw poor Craig Conroy every day for a fairly significant press conference for media availability. And then come home july 1st happens and then not much happens and then basically nothing there's been since july 1st i think the 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 wranglers have announced the hiring of trent calls your new head coach mm -hmm. and uh samuel hansik signed his entry-level deal that's it yeah i think so right there's um, been two things in the better part of two and a half months yeah now this morning uh wes gilbertson covered it for us at post media but uh, i do know andrew mangiapane was um was hosting the Italian hockey. The, I think it's the Italian Open. The Italian Open. Yeah. Um. So I know that there was a media availability there. I think that the main news, as you would expect, there was not a ton from like three weeks before training camp opens with, you know, with one of your forwards. But Andrew Mangiapane did say that his shoulder is basically all healed and he is 100% ready to go. I didn't see anything else particularly newsworthy come out of that. Yeah, and I mean, that's kind of what you expect from that kind of thing. I mean, it's it's one of, you know, we we could we could spill a whole hour talking about the charitable stuff that Flames players and Flames related entities do. Mm -hmm. uh, cuz that's just that's what you do here. That's the standard they've set. Mm -hmm. Uh and showing up at a charity event not unexpected. Manjipani talking about him feeling better not unexpected. I think based on the the timeline of when he had the surgery, I think he had it I think right after the season which would have been mid to late April is probably when he went under the knife. So I think 
timeline wise, that's this is about how you'd expect, you know, a, a non insanely intricate surgery to go for recovery. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, good for him. Uh, yeah, some, and I, if I may just interrupt very quickly, just because you did mention it, I think that if we're going to talk about one of these charity golf tournaments, it is worth noting that proceeds were going to the Renfrew Educational Services. Uh, so, good on him. We're all. We're all very happy and supportive of that. But I don't know, like, what else were we expecting from Andrew Mangiapane at this point? He wasn't going to comment on trades or free agency. So, cool. Yeah. He's healthy. That's what we need to know. And I think Andrew Mangiapane is a guy. He is one of the players who, whenever I talk to people, and I'll, I'll just ask you directly, when I, when I ask people, like, oh, what are your expectations for the Flames? Andrew Mangiapane is the one who, if he gets back to the level that we saw from two seasons ago, you have hope. If he doesn't, you're probably not that optimistic. He, he's sort of yeah. one of those, that group of five or six players. who You need that that return to the mean yeah well that's uh, let's be honest I, i've been you know talking to a lot of people about this over the off season you know the flames were a team that missed the playoffs by three points they missed the playoffs by three points despite the fact that their penalty kill was mark you know significantly below average uh at five on five they were a decent offensive team they should have been an exceptional defensive offensive team with the amount of chances they got but they couldn't bury anything which speaks to a bunch of different factors we'll get into uh their you know defense was big whoopsies at bad times their goaltending just couldn't make that big save that they needed consistently and so you know it was one of those years where you know the analyst community basically goes well they're fighting it they're, you know they're they're doing the right things but things are going against them every time and it's like it's it, i was i was you, you, do, you, do you feel like we do this in calgary though like every other every second season well, and dating back to, I mean, I moved here in 2011 and sort of my impression of the Flames when I moved here, and, you know, this is, I've become smarter and more educated, I hope, about them, but my impression had been that this was a team that had made the playoffs in 2004 and had gone on a Stanley Cup run and had just sort of always said, well, what if, if, if a couple things go differently, we can do that again and potentially... You know, it's every second season they seem to miss the playoffs now or, or, or fall short of expectations. Yeah. Like, it, it, and I don't actually believe that it's the other way, but it does feel like this is. Well, especially, especially like we shouldn't. This is the goal should not be one good season, one bad. Season. And, and especially like you know, I, I've we'll get into this in future installments and other programs uh, mm -hmm. when when certain things are on the market. Uh, but I've written a lot and researched this. You know, the, the history of the franchise a lot. You know, basically from when the Flames started in 72 until when, you know, uh, Alco or Cliff Fletcher left and they sort of went through a revolving door of GMs in 92. Uh, the Flames were a team that was like, okay, build, 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 build. And even, you know, there is, you know, Cliff Fletcher developed a reputation. His nickname was Trader Cliff because he had a good team and he was like, I don't want to have a good team. I want to have a great team. So he's constantly trading people. He, you know, he traded uh, Kent Nilsson coming off uh, an insanely good season because he was injured for the playoffs and went, oh, okay, if we can do this well without him, let's try to replace him with something we can use. And so that turned into, you know, opening up spots for other guys. They, they traded, you know, very good defensemen. Uh, people don't remember this. They traded Paul Reinhardt the year before they won the Stanley Cup. The, the training camp in 88, they traded Paul Reinhardt because he was 29 going on 30 and he was, you know, he had a series of back and shoulder injuries in his career. And, you know, they had, you know, a bunch of good defensemen and Cliff was going, I can't have nine defensemen. I need to make some room for guys. And there's no, really no reason to have a guy I think is going to break down. So let's cash out when you have value. So you have to be ballsy to cash out on guys when there's still value. And 
it got them the Flames to the Stanley Cup. They were constantly improving from 1972 until about 1990. And then the economy hit them. You know, they, the U.S. dollar, you know, versus Canada, Obviously, 60, dollar. Yeah. You know, there was no salary cap. You know, you're a Canadian team paying your players in American dollars. It hurt. And, you know, the 90s were basically just economic factors just beating the Flames to death over and over and over again. And I'll give the Flames credit. They did a hell of a job just hanging in there. And then once the salary cap came in 04, I think in, in a way, kind of the worst thing that could have happened to the Flames uh, was that 04 run. And not, you know, I think it saved them from a business standpoint, but I think from a hockey standpoint, the challenge is, like you got, like you mentioned, if you think, oh, you just got to get in, maybe you have a chance, then that really just tops you out as a team that can get in and try to make some noise. But you have to have, you know, some, uh, you know, I'm not going to say they don't have backbone, but I think you have to be pretty, pretty ballsy and say, this is the plan. This is what we're doing. We're doing this. Even when it's something as crazy as, tr you know, trading away really good players like Paul Reinhardt, right before, you know, coming up, they were the president's trophy that year and they traded their best defensive defenseman outside of like Al McInnes because they thought, okay, hmm. he's going to fall apart. He's physically going to fall apart. We need to figure out a way to to maximize his value. And if you look at you know the the Flames history throughout the aughts after the salary cap came in, it was Daryl Sutter trying to replicate the 04 Magic. And the 04 Magic was you know in a a system where you know officials we love you, it's a tough job. Nobody called anything. It, you could basically you know if you look at Jerome McGinley's highlight package up until 2004, it's him skating with guys basically water skiing behind him, hooking and holding. And it's a you know Jerome McGinley doing his best to hold like three guys behind him. And it's kind of a minor miracle he had the numbers he did when he did. Imagine him in an area where they actually call penalties. But they, you know, they went from okay, we had this magic run. You know, instead of going okay, you, you know, the, the Flames had you know hot hands for goaltending. Everything worked. Every change Daryl Sutter made in that oh, you know, that oh two to oh four period just worked, and everyone fit. And then coming out of a lockout, everyone's a year older. Everyone's you know has hasn't really played for a year. You don't really know how how things are going to gel and. He tried to replicate the Flames' magic, you know, special sauce for three, four, five years, and it just didn't work because you can't really do that. It's impossible. And I think to a certain extent, that kind of thing happened after 2015, where I think the the find away Flames run, where you know they got the best possible opponent for themselves in the first round, and you know they were they were asked, "Hey, can you beat Vancouver?" and they they decisively beat Vancouver. It was a series that the Flames... The series was so much fun. It was like, so Even fun. as a non, as someone who did not grow up here, is not by any stretch of the imagination. Like, I don't call myself a Flames fan. And I was pretty much pinned to the desk at the Calgary Sun at the time. It was such a fun pages, series. It was, it was such just a fun so series. much fun. And, like, there's nothing quite like when the young, the young up-and-comers sort of just catch the veteran team that expects to win by surprise. Yeah. And like, you know, particularly with but, the Calgary Vancouver, I love that and, series. But I think from like a, a macro and a micro standpoint, like, you know, micro, look at how they how they handled Sam Bennett, where it's like, okay, Sam Bennett came in, he was playing, I believe, primarily online with, uh, it was Backland and then a rotation of guys. It was, you know, a lot of, a lot of uh, different rotation on that line. But you put anyone with Michael Backland, it'll be good. I think Sam Bennett's playing style really landed itself well to playoff hockey where the rules are a bit relaxed and you can basically, you know, crash the net and not really be worried about getting a penalty unless you like two hand a guy. So do you think that's why Sam Bennett was so much better in the playoffs in the regular season? Like, I think so. It happened over and over and, and over. I, and I, I also think, you know, if you're, if you're looking at sort of, you know, how do you conceptualize like, what's your job? 
It's like, well, today, Sam, your job is to go out and you're going to be, you know, I think matchups are really important in the playoffs. You're basically saying the same thing, the same, you know, two lines and one defensive pairing. So if you're saying to Sam in the video room, hey, Sam, you're playing against these, these six guys, especially these two guys in your wing, and you're playing against these defensemen, these are the battles you need to win. You can really dig in and say, okay, good. I can wrap my head around this. And then, you know, for various reasons, part of it was the coaching turnover. Part of it was, you know, they tried, you know, they said to themselves, is he a winger? Is he a center? They tried him in both. His role kind of got muddy. And then the season, the seasons afterwards, you know, you, you bring in guys like, you know, Matthew Kachuk never played center growing up. So they never tried to turn him into a center. They said, Matthew Kachuk, here's your job. You're going to be, you know, you're going to be running shotgun with Backlund for a couple of years, and then we're going to let you lose. And it worked. You know, the Andre Mangiapane comes in and they're like, Andre Mangiapane, you can't play center. So you're just a winger. And I think that's one of the bigger challenges I think Dylan Dubé is experiencing now. And I think he's dealt with it really well so far that are you, what are you? Are you a center? Or are you a winger? Are you, are you trying to do a lot of different things? Because the nuances and the, the rhythm of the positions are very, very different, especially over the grind of a season. And I think, you know, you can, if you, if you wanted to set up a guy to be a center, good, but you got to commit to it because if you sort of go back and forth, it leaves the guy sort of wondering, well, what am I supposed to be doing here? Yeah. And I, I mean, my impression of Ryan Huska is he's a guy who understands developing players like that. That does seem to be, you know, he's got the AHL background. He's, he's got a good resume of getting guys to the NHL. Yeah. So, I mean, and where do you see, let, 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 let's bring it forward to this team. It's hard because there's the possibility that we are going to see significant movement. Um, between now and the start of the season. I think it's sort of becoming increasingly unlikely, but, you know. I think we're going to see some movement before the end of 2023. I don't know when. So, okay. But you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to alter my approach here. You know what I'm going to ask. Backland, Lindholm, Hannafin, Tanev, Zadorov, Shillington. When do you think, I mean, I don't think that they move to Shillington, but when do you think it is most likely that we see movement on, on one of those guys? Either a contract signed or you deal them. I think they'll get a sense of what's happening with Lindholm pretty early on, though, because I think I think they a, don't already. I think a lot of guys, you know, this is from me speaking to absolutely nobody. This is just my my outside the fishbowl observation. I think it's been a tough couple of years for for a lot of people in and around the team. I mean, you know, you went from you know a COVID season to a bubble season to a season where you got yelled at all year, but you were winning. To a season where you got yelled at all year, but you were losing. And I think if you have the opportunity, like. Let's, let's be honest. The market is what the market is. It's not like teams are magically a lot of extra money. said he couldn't go into the season with all seven UFAs. He got six. And so, and like I said this to Julian, is that what he meant? Like, am I, I just I, am I, I just an idiot who doesn't understand I, hockey? I think that's what he meant. I think. Come on. This, I, I don't want to put I don't want to put words in, our, in the general manager's mouth, but my interpretation of those comments was the, the flames, I got to get rid of Toffoli. The flames that's it. With, when, with that the. When they went into the last year of pre-RFA Kachuk and pre-UFA Goudreau, I think the idea was, okay, well, we'll deal with it in the summer. Let's just focus on the season. We'll deal with it in the summer. And we'll deal with it in the summer is basically punting your problems down the road and not doing the work to really figure out what are we doing here? What do you want? What do I want? And having that conversation, keep the dialogue open. And it's easy, you know, I, they, they've done it a few times and sometimes it, it works really well because it allows, you know, everyone to sort of clear their head and go into the conversations in the off season with a clear mind and knowing what they want because they've had time to mull it over themselves. But sometimes, especially if you're a team with 
six significant UFAs, formerly seven, I think you need to sort of have a sense, especially with, you know, with how tumultuous the last couple of seasons were, you probably want to have a sense of how are you feeling? How are you feeling about this group, about the team, about the direction, about the city? Because if, you know, you know, I firmly believe that the feedback that uh, Don Maloney got in those conversations influenced who they hired as a GM and as a coach. And I think if you didn't have that viewpoint of, man, this has been a tough couple of years. What are we doing here? You know, let's take a deep breath and figure out where, you know, what the pain points are. I think, it, it, I think you're basically stumbling around a bit. And so, okay. So let's start at the end then. Okay. If you do not have it, I'm going to, I'm going to isolate these three particular players. Okay. Backland, Lindholm, and Hannafin. Yeah. At the trade deadline, if you do not have pen to paper, you have to trade them, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Right? Like, Hannafin reportedly sure already told the team respectively, uh, "This ain't my. This is. I'm not really feeling it. I want to. I'll probably be going elsewhere next year." So they are. You know, I think they're already looking for for deals for him. I think for Lindholm and for Backland. I think for Lindholm, when they get phone calls, they go, "Okay, thanks, but I mean, we're gonna we want to keep him, but we'll." We'll, we'll take it under advisement. They write down a notebook and say, we'll get back to you if, if we change our minds. And I think with Backlund, I think they're probably listening a bit more intently. But I also think, I mean, you know why they spent the money they did on Michael Backlund uh, when he was a pending UFA? They put they gave him a bunch of money because their analytics team basically laid out for management, hey guys, here's what you need to do to replace the inputs this guy does. And they went, Michael, here's your contract. Oh, yeah. uh, so I, 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 to be clear, I love all these guys as players. This, this is. I, mean, but I agree. I agree with you. I think, I think from an asset management I, standpoint, yeah, you, I think you you definitely need to get something of value for Hannafin. If you don't have a Lindholm going forward, you need to get something for him. I think you can get real value for Han Hannafin and possibly value that I consider to be a little bit disproportionate to what he actually means to the team. Yeah. I'm going to be honest with you. I, I, if we consider that by the end of the season, Anderson and uh, Weger were the top two. Easily defenseman, and then and, and I'd, I don't, I'd, I'd argue that Tanev was the number three. And I don't think people remember how damn good Oliver Shillington was playing with Chris Tanev two years ago, for sure. And so, right there, I mean, Hannafin's a good player, like, I'm not taking away from him, but I'm saying, like, if hypothetically you're like, okay, you expect Shillington to be back at that level, and you're basically trading your number four defenseman, and now the rest of the league yeah. may know that too, but just like when his name was on the market, it seemed like the deals that were being thrown away thrown around not even from calgary from other markets we're yeah. treating this guy like he's a number one and i was like cool if and, you can get that well, deal and that's do the, it. that's the thing because i think it's it's not so much it's not so much what he is but what can he be if you're the gm of new jersey boston buffalo carolina wherever if you're a gm and your pro scouts are saying hey you know if, if you look at hannafin he's played against good opponents and performed well. He can run a power play. He can run a penalty kill. He can play in any game situation. He can play with anybody. He's been used in shutdown situations. He's been used in offensive generating situations. If you're, I bet you pro scouts from 31 teams are telling their GMs, hey, if we can get the price to be palatable, this guy can help us in a lot of different ways. And I think- But he is not a number one defenseman, I don't think, on a team that you expect to win playoff rounds. No, I think I think it's, and, it's, and what can it's, he be? It's like the Michael Backlund thing, where it's like you know, on on a team with good enough depth to do some damage in the playoffs, Michael Backlund's probably a third third uh, third line center. That's pretty good, though. I mean, oh, yeah. he he finished 
pretty high up in the the Selkie Valley last year, being a third line center. And I think I'm not going to say you know, a single bad word about Michael Backlund because I think he's great he's fantastic and he fits into his role perfectly. He's a leader on the team. I think that those comments we heard from Rasmus Anderson last week about like nah, like Backlund was the captain. Yeah, it was a little awkward because he didn't have the C, but like he was the captain of the team. I I think speaks volumes. Michael Backlund, I won't say a bad thing about, and I'm not saying anything bad about Noah Hannafin. Like I honestly hey, not. You know how many guys would I'm kill sure to be he a has second parent, a good second pairing guy in the NHL. Absolutely, I'm just saying that the way that he was spoken about was almost as if he was a number one guy, and I just don't think he is. And in terms of what he can be, well, he's got 600 NHL games to his name, yeah. and I don't know how much improvement we typically see NHL players have past when they're at that number they, yeah. they generally are what they are at 600 games but his playing style it's not he doesn't play a super physical style so it's not like his game's gonna fall off a cliff uh you know pretty quickly i mean he's probably someone <clears> that he's what 28 27 28 uh, he's probably 26, 25th 1997 i only know he has 600 games to be yeah. clear that's not off the top of my head i looked it up yeah um but you're, like, you're the stats but, guy but here. typically you know like typically you know the the, the things that makes the that make stats nerds like us nervous about a contract, a long contract, is guys who play a physical style. Guys who, like, I'll say Curtis Glencross, Crash Bang, his entire identity was about being tough to play against with a capital T. It fit. He was great at it, but it, I think it limited the longevity of his career. Chris Tanev is another guy. Troy Brower. There's a lot of guys that just, the contracts won't age well if they're signed for umpteen years and umpteen million because they're Tasmanian devils. They're bowling balls. At a certain point, Mother Nature just says, "Okay, uh, all your tendons are going to give in now because you've done you you played really hard." And that you know that's why I'm never going to say a bad thing about people who play that style because I couldn't do it and I wouldn't want to do it. But it's just it's one of the things that makes you nervous. Hannafin doesn't really have a lot of the markers that make great skater. Nervous. Yeah, he's, he's typically like his movement on the ice and, and, and he's his, his so vision. he's so smart and so adaptable. And he, you know, he, that's why he can play in so many different game situations that he can just wrap his head around what am I being asked to do here? Who am I playing with? Game situation, those kind of things. He can process it, he can do it, and he's very efficient at it. And those are the types of things that don't like look at Michael Backlund. Michael Backlund's been this good since he was about 28, 29, 30, and he's been this good for six or seven years because the things that make Backlund good are between the ears, and the things that make Hannafin good, I think, are very similar. And I think that, I mean, to bring it back to what you are saying about those Chris Fletcher trades, I, I, I think my point is that with Hannafin, because of all the reasons that you're listing, but as well, I, I, I'm not sure that the contract that he's going to get is necessarily going to be what the Flames want to be paying their third or fourth defenseman. So nope. I actually think he's a guy who you can trade, make a smart trade, um, and, and the assets that you're going to bring in make you, that's not one that I necessarily mm -hmm. think you're going to be looking back at with a ton of tears. Realistically, you traded a good, a good, Young, but 600 games to his name, player, they're, defenseman. They're, they're and you're, what you're going to get back, you're going to get a nice package. That's why it's the one that excites me the most in terms of the movements. The de flames depending on what happens with Chris Tanev, because Chris Tanev, I don't think he's a guy that's going to be paid for a long time. Like he seems, he's said it himself on on uh, exit day. He's done one year deals. He's done year to year deals. He's comfortable basically doing whatever. Uh, so maybe he's a guy that comes back. Maybe he doesn't. I, I think he, he's probably one of the guys that you wait until the, the very end and see see where you are, see what kind of offers you get. But if was, it, this if, was my next question. I honestly, my only thing with that is given his injury history, isn't it worth exploring possibly getting slightly more? Now you might, if mm -hmm. he's healthy, you might get something nice at the deadline. Yeah. But there's also the risk of, and like through no fault of his own, because the guy's a warrior, but he has had injuries. Yeah. And my only thing is you risk losing him for nothing if he does get hurt in midseason. Yeah. So, and and that's and that's the thing because I know, you know, when when he got when he got signed, again, he's one of the guys that, you know, at the site we were a little bit nervous 
you showed some trepidation about the contract because you're like four years, four and a half for a guy who can hardly keep healthy. I mean, in retrospect, great contract, great contract, but yeah. it's one of those things where he probably paid for himself by the end of the second year. And then the last two years are bonus years. Okay, great. You know, you came out ahead. So mm -hmm. with, with him though, you know, you're depending on what happens with him, your top three defensemen for the next while are probably what Kenzie Weger, Rasmus Anderson, Oliver Shillington, and then you need someone else to play in the top four. And then maybe you keep some guys in on, on short-term deals on the third pair. Maybe you swap guys out. I think Dennis Gilbert's a really good depth defenseman. I, I really like the Jordan Osterley signing. You know, they have a lot Zdorov of... Zadorov expressed interest in... Like, Zadorov so, was the one guy who I was like, oh, he loves Calgary. I don't like... Well, if, 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 in a way, that surprised me because all I'd ever heard was that he loves Miami. If the idea and I was like, is Miami that, and Calgary are not the same, pal. If If you do Zadorov, <laughs> if you give Zadorov good Branson money, and then Tanev either takes a pay cut or goes elsewhere, how are you feeling about it? Decent. I mean, I've said this and I hate belaboring this point. I think I said it on Friday. Like there's so much that for me, I just can't believe that they lost Valimaki for nothing. And then that was a weird, that, was, that Mackie, was such a weird circumstance. It would just be though. so nice. Like when I talk to people, they're like, oh, this team has no real defensive prospects in the cupboard or not in the cupboard in the system. And I'm like, well, they did trade away Mackie yeah. and they gave away Valimaki for nothing. And that, that just hurts a little bit. Like it's one of those ones that, like, and I, I think we all know that the Sutter and Valimaki relationship was, was likely why the Flames yeah. kind of had to make, ha, had to leave him open. But man, those some, are two. Sometimes two of things your... you can't control though. Cause I mean, think, think about what happens if, you know, if Valimaki doesn't, doesn't have a high ankle sprain his first year that completely derails his season. What happens in the second summer if he doesn't blow out his knee and miss the entire year? Those are like so they they lost not only key developmental reps but the clock on his waiver status the clock on his contract basically kept ticking so they you know it's it's nobody's fault I just think it was some bad circumstances and then by the time you know I think by the time he finally feels like he's ready he doesn't really have the body of work to make the decision makers as confident as he is that he is yeah it's it's part of what i like about what conroy said in the introductory practice conference and you've said that you're not really expecting actually you haven't said this on air so i'm the same oh, i'll, say, I'll on, say it on air i'm not expecting any any you know, i'm not expecting significant ptos yeah and i mean i think that part of tree living and because he wanted this team to be going for it so like the, that i understand but there were always these veteran guys coming I, I just wish that there had been a spot for a guy like valimaki to develop i don't think it was really sutter's way um, but and I know that their timelines didn't match up perfectly, and as you and, mentioned, there and, were injury issues. And hey, but you know, same kind of thing with you know Sam, Sam Bennett. If you have if 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 you knew how things would go sideways for Sam Bennett in terms of his development in Calgary, maybe you go okay. I mean, it sucks because you started his contract rolling by playing him in those ten games in the in the fifteen playoffs. Maybe you do hold your nose and send him down the AHL and say, you know, Sam, we think you're a center. We want you to go down the AHL. We want you to dominate. We'll see you at Christmas. So then, man, my segues are all over the place and I keep jumping. Um, okay, if you're not expecting, and to be honest, like it, it sure seems I'm taking Conroy at his word here. We, I, I do not expect them to sign a couple of veterans on PTOs. He has said, I believe I asked the question, um, how many spots are you going to leave open for these young guys? And he said it would likely be around three. Um, and the math, the math bears that out so far. Yes. So I don't, what I don't know is who qualifies as a young guy. Like, does Walker do work him as a young guy? I think so. He hasn't played a full year yet. Okay, so him and Peltier are two, and I Coronado's I, maybe three. And Coronado's three. Those yeah. are that's your yeah. guess there. That's my those my three. Um is Rosichka your fourth line center? I Let's think go. I think you want him to be. I don't I I think that's the challenge for me because 
if you conceptualize it the way that the flames this is honestly this is one of the things that makes me kind of optimistic about the season the changes they made lower the rotation because all due respect to players when you lose you know they lost trevor lewis great great really good intangibles player good role player not exactly fleet of foot milan lucic was good the things he was good at the things he wasn't good at he just didn't do which was great, but I mean, you know, it's sort of it makes we him all like Milan Lucic. We all like Milan Lucic, but it makes him it makes him kind of limited in terms of how you can use him, and you know, you need to basically put him in positions to, you know, specific situations to be successful. Same with what you mean they on had. the second line for like 40, 50 <laughs> games because I don't I didn't see a ton with of with uh, <laughs> with, with Huberdo on his off wing for three months. Yeah, yeah. But you know, you you remove those three guys, and you know, all due respect, you remove Michael Stone. And all of a sudden, if you replace those guys all with kids or with even just guys younger than them, your your rotation gets a lot quicker. Like from from for, the drop off in terms of speed and in terms of ability to make life difficult in very consistent systemic ways for the opposition, it increases. I think there's I think you can integrate a more consistent playing style between lines one through four if your fourth line is what Pelche Rizic Kadur, because then you have three guys who can skate, three guys who have scored at lower levels. And then you're not really, you're not really given the other Pelche, team a lot. I want Pelche Pelche higher up the lineup. I just so don't that, see. That's the challenge. I don't me. see where it fits. Right. Well, cause I, I, I'm on the side. I'm going to basically break down a bunch of different types of line configuration they can go with, but like your wingers right now are basically what Uberdo, Coleman, Manchipani, Dubé, Sharangovich, Dewar, Pelche, Coronado. Yeah. And then you have the four centers. So you can basically mix and match. I think, you know, the, the nice thing is Dubé can play both sides. So can Sharon Govich, so can Pani, so can Coleman. You have a bunch of those guys who can do a lot of different things. And so then it's a question of, you know, what centers they match up with. Well, it depends how Ryan Husko wants, you know, what, what functions you want each line to have. The, 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 I think the best, easily the best fourth line the Flames have had since I've been covering the team was that 18-19 team where they had Pani. Derek Ryan and Garnet Hathaway, because you had two guys that could skate like the Dickens, a really smart center who could distribute the puck and win faceoffs. And then you had, you know, a wrecking ball with a lot of upside in, in Garnet Hathaway who could do a lot of different things. And I think I was asked this in, in the, the Monday mailbag on the site, you know, Hey, is, is, do we think that uh, Walker Dewar is more Josh Juris do all due respect to Josh Juris, who I think it's Switzerland now or more Garnet Hathaway. So far, I see a bit more Hathaway in, just in terms of mm-hmm. the things that make Dewar effective at the NHL level. And so, if I'm quietly have, obsessed with Walker Dewar, I actually think he's like he's got the potential to be so much better. Is this yeah. uh, okay? This is the daily faceoff. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, like I, I honestly think Walker Dewar showed me so much. But um, okay, looking at this, um, and we're gonna get back to the fourth line. But do you do you give assuming Lindholm is on the lineup? Is in line. Do you try to pair him with Huberto again and see if they can develop the chemistry that they did not have last year? I think you have to, right? Do you? Yeah, because you, you at the very least, you want to know you can go to it. I, I think, I think probably you know you sit down with both guys. I think if I, if I'm if I'm the coach and the GM, first time once everyone's in town, go down, have a good meal together, say, okay, guys, here's what we're thinking. Are you on board? And then. See how they feel. See, have a good conversation about where they're both at, and go. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna try you guys together for half of preseason. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. And then after third, fourth preseason game, we'll sit down, see how we're feeling about it, and then we'll go from there. But I think it's one of the things that could be really good because you, on paper, like it didn't work last year, I think, because a lot of things did not work last year. No one was really 100% where they wanted themselves to be last year, I think, in a lot of different fields on the team. Okay. You know, heck, their best defenseman got hit by a car, truck. Uh, oh, yeah. That's, yeah. That was ter- terrifying. And I don't think we realized how terrifying it was at the time. But, oh, yeah. but um, my thing was just that, like, it was oddly outspoken. Like, again, I, I generally cover the CFL. So I'm used to athletes who talk about, about their about stuff when it goes wrong hockey they don't and the fact that we all knew that Lindholm and Huberto were, were not enjoying playing together very much nothing personal as far as I know but just like their, their styles were were not meshing yeah um and especially makes me question it especially just the idea though like I mean if you know like if you, you know every every professional athlete gets to this point because they're very proud and very talented and very I think self-critical I think that's why what makes them you know so good when they're on and so frustrated when they're not but I think Elias Lindholm, especially coming off a season where he lost his two trigger men, he lost both of his wingers. He's probably thinking, Oh God, it's all on me now. And I think he was probably self-conscious about what he needed to do to be effective. And if you're him, if you're thinking the the fate of this team rests on my shoulders, do you have a lot of patience for a new winger? Even if he's a guy with, you know, however many hundred games he has trying to figure out your system. I think if you're thinking, Oh, this is the, the left side of the top line is not a place to be learning how to play Daryl Sutter hockey at this point. And so the guys he had success with were what Dubé and Toffoli for the most part, the guys who knew the system. And Fair. That's, a, so, that's a valid point. Um, I mean, I think, Uzitsko weirdly had success there for not weirdly, but had success there I, I for a little while. A guy that came up through the same system, a guy who sort of, he'd been in camp, he'd been in training camp with, you know, he'd seen a lot of Daryl Sutter flames hockey. Mm-hmm. And I think he kind of, he figured it out. He, he, you know, he, he could just see it. And I think the, the nice thing was he came up through a Flames farm system that, you know, under three different coaches, they've all played variations of the same kind of kind of scheme. So even if you didn't really fully grasp the intricacies of Daryl's system, and I think a lot of guys struggle with that at times, even if you was Ichigo, who's a rookie, you can just come in and be like, okay, I can, 
I can figure this out as I go. I, I know about 80% of this. I can figure out the other 20% as I go. And I think Rizichka, when he was, you know, at his playing his best hockey over the season, I think that's when it worked for him because, you know, he he figured it out. But a lot of guys, I mean, I don't think Huberdo, you know, was really satisfied with the season, but I also think oh, no. that's what's going to be. I, mean, I, I, I don't think you think that. I think Huberdo was very vocal. He had no not. swagger. <laughs> yeah, no swagger. Yeah. Can this team get its swagger back? Speaking on August 28th. Um, it is a pertinent question. Do you have Sharon Govich? Like that's where if, if we can we pull up the daily face off again? Um like Sharon Govich is a first liner. I didn't I think I think I want Coronado there, even though I think Well, here's just... here's my question though. Coronado could fit, Mangipani could fit. I think if everyone's on board with it, you keep Backlund and Coleman together, and then do you put Mangipani there? Do you put Pelche there? Do you maybe move Coleman onto his left side and put Coronado on that line to get him going? Mm -hmm. Because that line's if you know, based on history, the Backlund Coleman duo has the puck a lot. And if you have a guy who made his name in college hockey and in the USHL, basically in every level of hockey he's played in since he was like 12, his bread and butter has been scoring goals. And if you have two guys that are really good possession guys that can get him the puck a lot, that could work. And then that maybe that frees up Mangiapane to play on the top line or Mangiapane plays with Kadri. Like that could do a lot of different things if you can get some chemistry going. That's why I think this is going to be, you know, people ask me like, like, what can we expect from the Flames this year? I'm like, I don't know, man, because, you know, there's so many different things that could, you know, I think they're going to try a bunch of different stuff because I think, you know, the, I think the shackles are off a bit and they go, let's, you know, let's do weird stuff. Let's get creative in preseason. Let's try a different things. Let's try different guys. You wouldn't expect maybe Coronado plays in preseason games at center. Maybe Dubé plays in preseason games at center. I wouldn't expect them to be regulars, but if, you know, Adam Rizicka was a healthy scratch for about a, what half to a third of the season last year. I don't think he's a given that he's a, an NHL regular. He probably should be based on his waiver status and, and seniority. But if you're thinking, okay, you just don't want to give it to him. You want him to have to beat someone out for it. Maybe you have a couple concurrent battles going on with Dubé and Coronado trying to figure out, do we want to play center? Do we want to play wing? Do we want to do a little of both? Can we work with us doing both? Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially they, they have some depth on the blue line now, depending on how things go. You know, if everyone's healthy, you're probably starting off with, you know, one, if not both, of Dennis Gilbert or Jordan Osterley, even either in the press box or in on the Wranglers. Maybe it rolls 11-7 for some games. Maybe you go 12. Like, I think there's a lot of different things they could do. And I'm really excited for preseason because I think they're going to try a lot of really creative things that they might not have had the gumption to try because, you know, they tried traditional over and over and over again the last couple of years. And if traditional didn't work with the current configuration of the team and the current configuration of the team is pretty close to what they had last year, they're weird. Yeah, it's it's sort of remarkably close to what they had last year, to be honest, which I I am still not all the way convinced is a is a good thing. What what does excite me is to be honest, just the feeling that they are going to try new things and that, you know, when, you know, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again. Here's a question for you. How, how, uh, how late do you think Sam Honsick stays in camp? Who in camp? That's more a question for you. Um, Cause that's, that's the thing I think is, I'm really curious about because, you know, he's got the size, he put up real good numbers. They really like him. They love, they love a lot of things about him and he's already under contract. I don't think you need to rush him. Though I, I I think that you mentioned Sam Bennett. I, I I think that take your time with these guys. Like what is like I I 
you never want to be in the mushy metal. I think the Flames are a little bit in the mushy metal right now. Don't don't give your players time to develop. I, I, think I think especially the guys with upside. Yes. Um, and he is one of them. I mean, I think that the guy who I, I think you want to see, like Connor Zary needs to take a step forward in the AHL at this point, and you'd like to see him knocking on the door for some NHL he, playing he, time. He played every game last year. He stayed healthy. Yep. Um, and the guy has scored an absolute dirt McGirt goal uh, in the playoffs. So I, I'm, but he, like he's the one who I'm more. Everyone else, just give them give them some time. Now, with that said, I'm shocked that Dan Vladar still. I really thought Dustin Wolf was going to be sort of coming in at number two um, for this team this year. Do you? Well, no, we sort of know the answer at this point. If Dan Vladar's there, they're just going to keep Dustin Wolf playing games and, yeah. and working on his development I, in the AHL until they can find a spot for him. I'm they don't the want him sitting on the bench. I'm under the impression that. You know, on paper is probably what they're going to go with for the season. So right now you're looking probably at Markstrom Vidar and Calgary for the NHL team, Wolf and Dansk in the AHL and Radomski and Murphy in Rapid City. Rapid City hasn't signed a goalie yet. So I think Rapid City is sort of resigned so to having, you on, having those like, guys. I don't know. I'm trying not to swear. I don't know anything about Rapid City. Uh, what? Yeah. I don't they're know. in South Sorry. Dakota. They have an amazing oh, mascot no, who's a minor. That. I just like. If you're expecting me to get into the breaking down the lines for, for Rapid City, I'm not going to do it. Do you think Wolf starts eight games in the NHL this year? Yes. Okay. Here's what here's what I think, and I'll 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 bundle Hannafin in with it. So right now, Optimism's high in 32 NHL cities, especially in Vegas because they just won. But there's 32 cities that have, you know, done their tinkering. They've made their move for the most part. I think everyone has some moves they'd like to make, but, you know, salary cap and other factors are constraining them. But I think everyone's probably yeah. reasonably happy with going in because Except you've only done Winnipeg everything on Calgary. Paper. I don't think Winnipeg's made all their moves. Oh, goodness, no. But, you know, they've made moves they can make right now because they need two to tango. But, you know, right now, I think, you know, I have a big, ugly spreadsheet in front of me. Uh, every team basically exists like this they exist on a spreadsheet they exist in two dimensions where people go oh i think the team looks good because of blah 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 blah. once they get to training camp then you you sit down and be like okay who's going to show up in shape best shape of their lives who's going to show up in suboptimal shape who picked up weird injuries in the offseason i mean you know who who who's going to come in and have a bad preseason who's going to come in and have a preseason that makes their team go oh you know what we could probably use no hand if it makes some phone calls or you know, someone's someone's backup goalie is going to get lit up like a pinball machine throughout camp, and the Flames will start getting calls on Dan Vildar. Where if not in camp, the first month and a half of season where everyone's a little bit rusty and everyone's starting to ramp up, and you know, we, I don't think we really see the best of NHL teams until about you know Thanksgiving, Canadian or American, to take your pick. But yeah. somewhere in between the Thanksgivings is where teams start figuring out what they're doing and really start clicking and start rolling. And the teams that end up winning a lot early on tend to be the teams that do better overall because of that. But I think a lot of teams are going to hit that, you know, I think teams are going to get through October and go, Hmm, case in point, there's a year where the flames used Eddie lack as their backup goalie. He did not last past us Thanksgiving because he, he just wasn't exactly what they needed him to be to be a solid two. And they end up calling up Dan Vladar or no, uh, call up David Riddick. And, by the end of the season, uh, Eddie, uh, you know, they, I believe, I forget what they traded him, but they ended up trading away Eddie Lack to a different team. Uh, and then he, you know, he basically puttered around for a little bit. But that's the kind of thing that happens where 
on paper, did Eddie Lack being the Flames backup goalie make sense? Yeah, it made great sense. You you could look at it and go, yeah, okay, I can see why they do that based on, you know, they want a veteran, they want a guy who made a certain amount of money, certain amount of experience, and then it just didn't work. There's going to be a lot of sort of, lack of a better term, Eddie Lack situations in goal, on defense, up front, throughout the league. And I think that's kind of one of the things that's going to make the next, what, three months between maybe now and U.S. Thanksgiving, maybe now and Christmas, chaos because i think a lot of teams are gonna start playing that game of hmm what do they got over there so to go back to your my original like where we started on this when we we said these six free agents you actually like where you're at is look that you gain more leverage once the season starts that the move has been basically since the draft to hold on to these guys until the deals will get better in your opinion problems become more acute once they're in front of you if you know right right now if you're thinking "Ah, i don't like our defensive depth but uh, we don't play games till october if you don't like your defensive depth when you start losing games, it's a much bigger problem because all of a sudden it's not just you sitting on sitting on you know your the dock of your summer house in Kelowna going, eh, we'll see how it looks in camp. Once you've actually sat down and start losing games, then all of a sudden you have you know your owner, president of hockey ops, fans, your coach, players going, eh, you know what, what are we doing, guys? And I think you know, once you got people banging on your door telling you to solve a problem. You solve a problem because you just want to stop being bothered. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's interesting. Like I, I do look at the NHL right now, and I mean, for me, one of the the narratives going into the season is just you have these teams, these young teams in the East, who are knocking on the door, but then there's not really teams in the Eastern playoff position who are going to be they who look likely to drop it. What are you thinking? Buffalo, Detroit, Ottawa, Ottawa. Yeah, so those, I think those are the three I have in terms of like they could take a leap. But is that leap going to be enough? And I mean, like Boston, I think we all think has dropped off. But you just look at the Atlantic, which I, I just pulled up. You know, you have Boston, Toronto, Tampa. Toronto and Tampa aren't going anywhere. Florida made the cup final. Like, so you're Buffalo, Ottawa, Detroit. You're trying to get one of their spots, what's available. So those are the teams where I kind of look and I'm like, man, if you're Craig Conroy, those teams get off to a good start and think that they might, that might be sort of where you're where, where you're looking at um, for some of these guys, right? Yeah, Te- teams that... See the worth, you know, think of themselves as that 14, 15 flames group, and you go, Hey guys, I mean, you know, we, we got all these guys sitting here. Can we interest you in uh, some of these things? We'll yeah, just, but those teams, we'll just take your third best prospect. And those teams might be the ones where, I mean, I know that they, you know, we've heard, you know, particularly Buffalo and Detroit bandied around a little bit throughout the summer, but they also might be the teams that they're the opposite of what you're saying. They get onto a hot start and they become more likely to, to want to strengthen as opposed to a yeah. slow start. Right. So I, I, I largely agree with you. Um, I, I found it. I, I accepted that it would probably be another move with the draft, but then in, in retrospect, it, it, it's hard to talk about because the reality is I think Conroy is right. If you don't get the deal for these guys, hang yeah. on. But I also just don't overvalue them. You know, you, you might and not get about it. Especially deal, so. like, I, I know a lot of fans were, were bugging me, you know, it probably bugging other people too, about, Oh, how can the flames didn't get more 23 picks? And I get it. But this was the draft class that, you know, since these kids were 14 or 15, head of Hampshire scouts have been telling the GMs, man, just don't move my 23 picks, okay? You can do whatever you want with the 22s, the 24s, whatever. Right. Hell, when, when Brad for Living, you know, when they when they made the, the Sean Monaghan trade, uh, originally, you know, I believe Montreal, as they should have, asked, can we have your 23 first? And they got told very bluntly, no. I don't think it was a conversation. I said, I think they went no. And then it turned into the Russian nesting doll of weird conditional and trades. Hindsight is 2020. The only guys you were going to get 
first rounders for were Goudreau and Kachak. And in the situation where the Flames were a year to a year and a half ago, they weren't trading those guys. I mean, they, and, they got a first rounder for Kachak. Yeah, fair. Um, I mean, when they when was it John Bean who said there were two deals on the table. There was the one they took, and then there was the prospect one. I think that there are people who would go back and say, oh, you should have taken the prospects. But I am the first to admit, I did not think that at the time. I was very impressed with what they got. So it's like only I, worth... I, I still think, I still think, you know, are, should fans be comfortable with the length of the of the, the contracts to give those guys? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm never fully comfortable with any, any contracts because there's always risk. I mean, there's no such thing as a sure thing. Even if you assign a guy to a one-year deal, he could blow out his knee in summer training and then it's a it's a wash you need but, more from huberto that's a bad deal until you get more from huberto yeah and i think that's, uh that's, i'm I, not i'm I not think, willing to backtrack on that if huberto is not better than you we we got we at 625 is not only quite good business but i think it's also the kind of deal where unless unless rasmus anderson turns into even more of a defensive juggernaut if i'm his agent i simply just look at that contract and say can we have that and then you I think you know, maybe you make some adjustments for percentage of cap raise. I mean, you know, Rasmus is going to get more. Do you say 625? I think he's more than you, you, that's the conversation. You take you I think the entire the entirety of the conversation starts with, okay, look what he got. Let's have a conversation about, you know, impacts and stuff. But I think I think that's a really good framing device. And I think some of some of the best contract work that Bradford Living did was sort of getting guys, you know, getting your players signed early on to deals that sort of structured the cap structure and your contract structure for the rest of the team. You know, they they signed Mark Giordano when he became their best player, and then it became very difficult to pay anyone more than your best player. Who was the Flames' best player? Out of curiosity, is it is it not Rasmus Anderson? Based on last year's Rasmus Anderson. And you're, you're maybe you he's got you can last 25 games, a year less last than Jonathan Hubert. I, I feel Come bad. On. Okay. I'll, 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 Four just, million I'll, less I'll just, I'll just throw this out. Uyghur last, you know, after the altar break. Mwah, fantastic. Yeah. Uyghur played the best. Anderson, the same period was just hit by a car. So we totally have, a, we totally have Uyghur at his best and Anderson his best to compare. So I want it, but I want to see that. I want to see those yeah. guys compete because I think it, you know those guys were already playing a lot together in a different really high leverage situations and but I think you know I that the entire conversation. I'm Anderson, I'm looking for a lot more than six two five. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying you're tearing up that contract, crossing out his name, and saying Rasmus Anderson handing it in. I think that's the like that's the that's the conversation. You take the Uyghur deal and be like, okay, what does Uyghur do? What does Anderson do? Yeah. Uyghur doing X Y Z gets gets X dollars or X percent of the salary cap maybe a little bit more, a little bit less about the same. I think probably a little bit more. I don't know how much a little yeah. bit more is, but that's, that's going to be, I hope Anderson succeeds to the point where it's an interesting conversation because he's probably one of the better developmental success stories they've had. They've had a few really good ones. Yeah. I think, you know, the, the, your top defenseman who you got with a pick you got from a prospect that didn't work out. And then, was very very harshly criticized and honestly probably rightfully so uh for his fitness in his first main camp and then since then like he's he's in you know i'll say this is someone who's not in shape he's in outstanding shape he looks fantastic and good for him i mean you know i think he got yeah. he got challenged and i don't think a, a lot of people would have responded as well to that challenge as he did i don't have the comparables in front of me i just would suggest that you know he's the most likely player to be your next captain 
I, I understand that there's debate there, but I think he is the most likely. He, if I there think were odds, and there might be odds. I don't gamble, so I don't know. I think but if there were odds, I think he'd have the best odds for being the captain. I think he's sort of your, as we said, I think he's their best player. Um, I I suspect he's gonna he's gonna break the bank a little bit, and he should. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, if you're the Flames, you're probably hoping he has a couple seasons between now and then what he's got three years left. Well, if you're going for it, you need him to be a, a top, top. If, top he, if he's the guy that they like, they have a lot of faith and a lot of belief in him. If he's the guy that they think he can be, they're going to very politely shell out a very big check to him and say, please stick around. Yeah. We really like you. They have to, I don't think there's any choice there. Um, all right. We've got, we're at 154. So we're probably going to go to, for seven to 10 more minutes here. That's what I will say. Um, what else have you done? I, I feel like we've done a lot of flame stock. What else have you done this summer, man? I know you're a wrestling guy. Uh, I know you're, you like MMA. I, I went. I went to to Vegas for an AEW show. I went to the okay. AEW show here. I got married. You know, it's been a busy summer. <laughs> you got married? Yeah. <laughs> I uh, didn't realize that. Congratulations. Um, that's that's on me for not. I've been busy, man. Man, look at that. I've what a busy. friend I am. Um, this is why we catch up. This yeah, is why we. That's catch why up. we. That's true. That's why we catch up. Uh, how? Good wedding. That no, was fun. You enjoyed it. Cool. It was fun. No one, no one got thrown out, and everyone seemed to have a good time. So nice. Those are all. Everyone who showed up. Everyone who showed up. Everyone said that what they were supposed to say when they were supposed to say it, and no one got thrown out by security. Congratulations. That's, that's great. Yeah. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, that was a good time. <laughs> but yeah, you really caught me off guard with that one. <laughs> uh, we should probably go back to flames. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's hilarious. Uh, Danny's going to go home. There's going to be a photo of us on his mantle. He's just going to put down, face down now. Apparently. I, I just, I feel terrible for, for so casually being like, what's up with this? What's up with your summer, bro? Um, okay. Let's flames question. Do you think they finish ahead of Seattle? I don't know. That's, I think, I they think, don't finish ahead of Vegas or Edmonton. Probably not Vegas or Edmonton. going to be better. I think, I think the, the, at least on paper, the clear class of the Pacific are Vegas, Edmonton, and LA. And then there's a lot of questions. Can Seattle keep their mojo going? Can the Flames bounce back from everything and everything that went wrong with them last year? Can the Canucks find a way to, to take a step? I think the, you know, on paper, there's San Jose and LA or San Jose and Anaheim at the bottom, although I don't think they're going to be quite as dirt bad as they were last year. And you have the top three teams that I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. And then you have a bunch of teams that could finish in a bunch of different orders. Vancouver's got such good players, but I don't see them being better. There's a couple guys on that team who I'm like, it's it's Damn, they have so many good. good pieces. It's like having all the puzzle pieces, and they just don't quite fit together the way you need them to. Mm-hmm. And then you know we we've all we, and then it just sort of looks like kind of a hodgepodge. But they like on paper, if you can surround those guys, like imagine imagine if you had like a magic wand and you can just disappear a handful of their constraining contracts. The problem is they have so many of them. I mean, you know the flames, the the expensive contracts that aren't that people don't think are going to age well, or at least the flames quote-unquote core guys they're the guys that they're gonna ride or die with so you can you know you can go okay i can see why they do that and they don't really have a lot of guys down the rotation that are making weird amounts of money it's more or less structured the way you would vancouver's is kind of all over the place and i don't know how it's going to work yeah and i mean my feeling is that now that brad tree living somewhere else we know how much he loves big contracts with guys in their 30s so just sort of start offloading some of those guys to the flames eventually because brad loves old guys who are overpaid (laughs) Hey, hey! All I know is Mark Giordano is making what eight hundred grand or something weird like that. Yeah, I know. Well, that's where I honestly do think that's where like Tanav just makes sense uh, if you can get him to Toronto. 
He's a Toronto guy. He's not, yeah, I, he, he would fit in well. He brings a toughness that they need. Um, can they afford him though? Because no. they just signed a big deal to a very good yeah, player. No, no, they can't. And all their money's eaten up. Yeah, I think a lot of well, a lot they have of, other big deals to sign, right? Like that's the other thing. Yeah. It's, it's it's not done. I'll say this: when my gut says this is based on no inside information whatsoever, my gut says Lindholm probably six around. Probably, this might not age well, but probably. The thing I'm really curious about is how the contract is built. Because if I were, you know, I was thinking about this uh, when I was on a morning walk the other day. This is the weird stuff I think about how to structure NHL well, contracts. Now that you're married, you just go on morning walks. Eh? Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, how would I do it? I, I mean, you probably you front load it. You, you know, the the actually the good good example is the Austin Matthews deal, where Austin Matthews is making league minimum salary the first two years of his new deal, and he's getting like a cabillion dollars, like 12, 14, 15 million dollars in signing bonuses. Signing bonuses are taxed differently, but you know, they're basically there's no escrow in signing bonuses, you just get the money. And so it's it's a way of guaranteeing that instead of paying, you know, little dribs and drabs throughout the year, you go, hi, Austin Matthews, happy July 1st. Here's a giant check. See you later. And then he goes out and spends on speedboats or whatever. Uh, if you're, if you're, if you're, you know, Elias Lindholm and he goes, okay, I'm in. You go, okay, here's what you do. First four years or whatever. Let's assume it's an eight year deal. First four or five, however many years you go full, no move, no trade, wherever, wherever will make him happy. And you load that sucker up with signing bonuses. Because is your implication that Elias Lindholm likes speedboats? If I remember, I like speedboats are fun, <laughs> but I think the in the back end of the I deal, I get weird though, at the end of the shows. In the back end of the deal, you go heavy on salary because you can buy out salary, you can't buy out signing bonuses. If the idea is that people are worried, we don't know if it's going to age well, and that's a natural thing to be worried about with any NHL contract, figure out ways to build some flexibility in because maybe by the end of the by by the time. You know, but he's 28. The new deal will kick in when he's 30 because I think his birthday is weird. Uh, it, it would kick in the month before he turns 30, I think. Okay. And it would take him to like 37 or 38. Maybe you're like, ah, what if he's bad after he turns 35? Last three years of the deal, all salary. Maybe you give him a more restrict, a more limited uh, no trade thing because maybe you're like, maybe you'll get tired of us. Maybe you'll want to go play in Florida, Tampa, wherever. Let's figure out a way to make this little bit easier for everyone to deal with and and so that's though that's the kind of thing i think of because i think you know the the number isn't the thing that i'm really concerned about i'm as concerned as much about the structure because there's plenty of deals that are heavy signing bonuses throughout you can't do squat with you know why they didn't buy out milan lucic you know why milan lucic got traded here in the first place because his deal was structured by the by the oilers when they signed him in a way that it was basically pointless to buy him out you wouldn't gain more than like twenty thousand dollars or a hundred thousand dollars buying him out so what's the point so if if you want if you build some flexibility into the structure of the deal you know it can work for everybody but there's going to be some give and take that's why if you want to do that you probably have to go heavy early on maybe you have to throw as many bells and whistles and no trade and no moves as you can to make them happy with signing it. And again, when do you need his answer? I don't know. And that's a good question. I'm thinking ideally, you know, before the puck drops on October 10th, wouldn't you? Or October 11th, like ideally, but we don't live in an ideal world. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, 
I'm thinking there's, you know, I make a joke about how the entire Elias Lindholm situation makes you really appreciate the Ryan, Chuck, but Ryan, I'm just trolling. Um, you're not wrong though. But Ryan Huska did an interview with uh, with Rod Peterson on his uh, in his YouTube show, uh, I think last week or the week before. And one of the things that that uh, Huska mentioned just the idea is like he th- he thinks once people get here and once the season gets going and people, you know, the, the players who are sort of on expiring deals or people in the locker room that might be on the on the fence. He said he said the UFA deals, but I'm I'm reading into it more broadly. Um, I think you know he thinks that a lot of people are going to kind of the vibes a bit different. If I only be good, it'll help if they're winning. But if people, if this is a place that players want to be, if you get here and it's a good work environment and the team is good and everyone's everyone's easy to get along with, and you know Johnny Gaudreau loved people. playing for Daryl Sutter and still left. So there's only so much risk that I think it's acceptable to take. Yeah. Take on and I like will maintain that. Like it's great if the vibes are good. It's great if they're winning. But you you need pen to paper. Yeah. My last question for you, and I'm gonna change the topic, but it's nice. still on the flames. You are more. How do I say this? You're more tuned into what's going down at City Hall than just about any of us who cover the Flames. I just know people who tell me things. <laughs> when do you? Should we be expecting an arena announcement in the next two months, three months, maybe a few weeks? Few weeks. Okay. So I think we- I think the, the the big holdup. They've been doing contracts basically since before the election. They've been working on contracts, papering it, but these aren't simple deals. They're very multifaceted. Uh, the provincial piece, I think, we'll hear something about very soon because yeah, I forget the, what Danielle Smith said, but she said that it, hey, has, to, it has to go to the yeah. Treasury Board and it has to go through Cabinet. And okay. you know, granted, the Premier is going to say, "Hey, people who I appointed to Cabinet, do you think we are we cool with spending this money?" And shocker, they'll probably all say yes. And then it'll go to the Treasury, and the the Treasury Board is full of people appointed by the Premier. They will also probably say yes. And then at that point, then the province has the ability to sign contracts, committing the money and things like that. So that's, a, that's a very, so that's what we're waiting for at this point. I believe so. Yeah. Okay. But I'm, I'm led to believe we're going to be hearing something definitive very soon. I don't know what soon means. It could be a matter of weeks, Okay. but I don't think it'll be very long. I think, I think we probably hear something definitive before the, probably before the season, maybe before training camp. I lied. I have one more question. How much extra time are you giving yourself to get through the the construction on your way to the dome this year? Like an extra. I don't want to think about it. <laughs> I mean, all, all I all I know is all I know is uh, that that area is going to be so damn. cool. It wasn't that bad last year. Once they're year. done, that area is going to be so damn cool. Like they're you know once they get everything. It's amazing. I, once it's record, done, good for it. I'm pro green line, pro everything. I'm not oh, actually. God. I'm making a joke. I mean, it's, it's great it's, that it's happening. I th- I think I think it'll be frustrating for a lot of people until those parking lots north of the Saddle Dome turn into a big pit that they're building something in. I think you know, think about how excited people were, you know, once the the BMO Center went from being like, oh, where the corral go? I love the corral. To oh god, that thing looks cool. I think we're gonna have that kind of uh, shift in 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 uh, attitudes about the the construction, you know. To be fair, though, you know, I'm not asking anyone to love the deal. I think a deal is better than no deal because no deal led to all kinds of weird existential questions. But there's deals in other cities I like a lot more. We're not but- I like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're I don't think that this is the proper place for us to debate how much public money should go to arenas. We both have jobs to do. <laughs> um, but like, I'm, just I'm, I I'm ultimately happy that we're getting in the that's and, what I will say. And I, I think I, I, the the two questions I got from fans outside of is this a good deal or not, which is a matter of opinion, 
are one, when is it going to be done already? Cause I'm tired of hearing about it. And when is the building open? I think everyone's, I think everyone, you know, this has been a front of mind thing in the city since the flood, since yeah. a, a backburner thing, since probably when Ken King came in in 2000 or 2001, like he's, it was something that they worked on for a while. They did a lot of legwork, but it's been sort of an existential question since 2013. It's been a friggin' decade. I think everyone right. is going to be very excited to spend their time and brain power on other things once this thing turns from a conceptual deal into an active construction site that we walk past and go, I don't know we could park there. And I'm really looking forward to just like the political groundswell of, of goodwill that goes towards us realizing that we need a new McMahon stadium, uh, which is definitely going to happen. Ooh, we, you and I have had this conversation <laughs> in the past happening. that I think, you know, I granted, I have no ability to affect changes like this. I think if I were in charge, I would say, okay, cavalry, Stamps, let's figure out what we can do together and then let's figure out a way to make it awesome. Because I I think the cavalry I'm the hoping, best thing cavalry has going though is that they have a stadium that actually fits their fan base, right? Like but you're you also, don't you're want also gonna five thousand people up. in a twenty-five thousand I think that's the challenge stadium. though. I think that's a challenge. Like, could I'm I'm really curious how that field house turns into because yeah. could could cavalry play some games at the field house? I'm not sure what the capacity would be. Well, with the dinos moving out of McMahon, like it's just if it's not good enough for the university team, it shouldn't be good enough for a professional football team. But we are not honestly, my impression is like we can talk about how badly we need it. It's not going to do us any good in We're, terms of actually we'll, getting it. Well, we'll I think we'll have new, uh, future opportunities to get philosophical and nerdy about uh infrastructure questions. A hundred percent. We should. And I'm do, looking forward to it. Let's do infrastructure pod with Pike and Danny. Uh, right, man. It's us talking about bridges for two hours. Yeah, I'm pumped about that bridge. I'm pumped about them extending 17th. I think I'm, I'm very excited about all of it. I love public transit. Um, Ryan, is there anything you want to throw to? Uh, we're in the middle of our annual countdown of the top prospects of the Flames organization. I think we're at 13 today. I think it was Adar Suniev at 13, and we're going to be counting the rest of them down uh, every weekday between now and I believe early September, at which case we'll run out of people to count down. And then coincidentally, uh, this, the training camp will start at that point. Strange how we worked that out. Unbelievable. Um yeah, because there's nothing between now and the golf tournament, right? We're pretty much, unless there's yeah, because no... I think the golf tournaments the 12th and 13th, and yeah. then veterans report or rookies report on the 13th, and then they go to Penticton, Penticton yeah. Yeah. and then I believe Huska said uh, on uh, Rob Peterson, veterans report for medicals on the 20th. So it is Jesus. This is gonna. It's three weeks. That's coming. It's three weeks, and then we're gonna. It's gonna basically be the fire hose again. Yeah. Between now and. Sometime in the spring. Come out to the Labor Day Classic, guys. That's what I say. We have three weeks before Flames take over, but lots of fun stuff happening at the stadium. The Edmonton Elks have won a, two games in a row, so Good lots of intrigue there. Um, honestly, my guest was brought to you by Ski Seller Snowboard. SkiSellerSnowboard.com. I said it right at the time, although I didn't like the way I said my guest to start. Either way, uh, they've been around since 1946. That's 76 years. They got three locations. The Cloud Trail by Chinook Center, 17th Avenue, just off 14th Street, and Bow Ridge Road Northwest by the McDonald's at Windsport. Uh, also, their Labor Day sale starts tomorrow, August 29th. Um, you know, it's one of the best sales in the city, August 29th, September 4th. It's not just skiers and snowboards. They got lots of stuff to keep you warm and dry. Yeah, check them out for great deals. Ski seller snowboard. Thank you to Udo Noodle, 
their it's their studio and thank you to ryan pike man you're the best i'm so happy we did this finally getting to interact professionally you and me not just not it just, better not be the last time i don't know let's do it bud i love it thank you for watching cheers hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.